What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. And good afternoon. I'm Miranda Khan filling in for David Brody, who has a day off. And welcome to the water cooler. David Brody will be back here Monday with an incredible show, including an interview with President Donald Trump. So be sure and tune in again. That is Monday, June 21st at 3 o'clock Eastern Time to the water cooler. And speaking of Donald Trump, the news out of Georgia just keeps getting more and more outlandish. We'll get to the very latest out of Fulton County, Georgia, momentarily. But first, also today, Republicans, guns, Second Amendment, and ATF, they go hand in hand. Or do they? We'll explain more with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who will join us live in just a moment. And finally, next week, the Senate prepares to vote on its version of the For the People Act. But do we, the people, are we for it? We'll get to the very latest polling numbers of what they reveal with Mark Meckler. But first, let's get back to Georgia. The very latest report coming from Just the News, John Solomon and Daniel Payne. The headline reads like this. Georgia investigators' notes reveal massive election integrity problems in Atlanta. Reports show that the officials in Georgia knew about these voting improprieties maybe as far back as November. And here to give us all the very latest updates is Phil Klein, director of the Amistad Project. Phil, thank you so much for joining us here on The Water Cooler. Good to see you. Good to see you, Miranda. So, uh, Phil, let's just get right to it. What is going on here? We are now in almost at the end of June. Yeah, it, it is way too late for the Secretary of State to suddenly say he has a concern about the operations of the elections in Fulton County when these records, 29 pages, of minute-by-minute -minute violations were written down by his own auditor that he put into that center during the uh, operation of the election. What this shows is consistent with what we see, Miranda, in all of the swing states in the urban core where Mark Zuckerberg money hit. You know, these outside uh, nonprofits, leftist nonprofits, dictated the way the election was going to be run. They paid the officials, which were outside officials who operated the election in a partisan fashion. They essentially co-opted government, which is the umpire in a baseball game. You know, the, the umpire shouldn't be paid by one team, and he shouldn't allow one team to define what the rules are. And that's what happened here. And it was done with Zuckerberg money. You read that report. What you see is incompetence and admitted illegalities. You see uh, uh, observations that say there are ballots coming in from people we don't know from places we don't know. Mm -hmm. There are ballots mm -hmm. going out from by people taken out by people we don't know to places we don't know. The very basics of the operation of the election um, uh, principles were violated here. Now, I, you know, you mentioned uh, the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. I want to just remind people about what he had to say on 60 Minutes. Again, he was claiming this was a while back when, when he went on 60 Minutes, claiming that Georgia, quote, had safe secure, honest elections. Here's a little bit of that interview. Take a listen. We never got rid of signature match. We actually did double signature match 
when you applied for your absentee ballot, you had to sign your name, and we matched that signature. We verified it. Then when we sent you the ballot, when the county sent you the ballot and, they, and you sent it back on the outside of your envelope, we verified that signature. So your signature was matched twice. We had safe, secure, honest elections, and the results are disappointing if you are a Republican, but those are the results. So that was in, and this is now. So earlier this week, Raffensperger announced that his office will open an investigation into potential mishandling of absentee ballots. And now we have this report coming out from Just the News. This is a 29-page report that Raffensperger was well aware of as early as November, but it wasn't until you know, John Solomon and Daniel Payne filed these freedom of information requests that we're actually hearing about it now. Why do you think that is? That's right. And, and actually, the audit that he uh, announced was only in response to a Georgia Star article that indicated that, the that they've been working to get documents for months and that the transfer forms, in other words, the chain of custody of the absentee ballots, was broken and that up to 24% of those forms are missing in an open records request. So the Secretary of State is trying to run up in front of the parade and, and claim that he is being uh, responsible in the exercise of his duties when these things he knew about or should have known about, and he should have done this back in November. I, I would encourage everybody, um, the 29-page report that's been in the files of the Secretary of State of Georgia for the last several months is online now. You can go read yeah. it instead of listening to his statements. Go online and read the report of the person who was in that counting room. Right, and you can also go to justthenews.com, again, to read that report from John Solomon and Daniel Payne. Uh, very interesting, uh, to say the least. Um, some of the quotes include, this seems like a massive chain of custody uh, problem. Again, this going as far back as November. Uh, I also want to talk about what the Senate is going to be uh, going uh, to look into next week. This is obviously creating a lot of tension between Republicans and Democrats, and that is this idea of the H.R. 1, uh, the For the People Act. Uh, what can you tell our viewers about this act and uh, what is going on in Congress right now? It's a consolidation of power and authority. It is an effort to create one-party rule in the United States. And we already have examples of one-party rule. And what happens? And we saw it in the last election in the urban core where Democrat officials decided to set aside the law. They claimed COVID as an excuse. And they worked hand in glove with private interests to try to run the election in a manner that benefited one candidate, Mr. Biden, to ensure his election to the presidency. This is wrong. Elections are a local issue. State legislatures are given the power in the Constitution, and Congress should not step in and dictate that that you have ballot harvesting. H.R. 1 supports ballot harvesting in every state. Ballot harvesting is a formula for fraud. H.R. 1 would require automatic registration. It doesn't allow you to challenge a person's registration if they appear to be an illegal or if they're a felon or things like that. It is pushing down. It has an aim of pushing down the voting age and getting our educational institutions, our are high schools engaged in educating young voters than turning them out to vote? It turns government into a political party. And it, that's one party. And government needs to be the objective umpire in an election. It, it shouldn't be paid by one side, and it shouldn't let one side dictate the rules. That didn't happen in 2020. The Democrats want to codify that for the, for the nation's future.
Yeah, and we keep seeing this um, argument time and time again, <clears throat> excuse me, between Democrats and Republicans. Republicans call it voter integrity. Democrats call it voter suppression. And obviously the key issue there is voter ID. Why is this such a hot topic for Democrats who seem to be adamantly opposed to this? Well, you know, the nation has a bad history as it relates to suppressing the black vote at the turn of the 20th century. And you can go back and you can look at the tactics that were used to prevent black turnout while increasing white turnout. And, and we have a whole set of laws to prevent that, and it should be there, and we have to be cognizant of it. That's why we have allowed, for example, extended voting times. That's why we make sure that there's proper personnel there that are trained to prevent intimidation or coercion, things along those lines, and that every ballot counts. That's why all of those laws are in place. The problem is, this time around, actually the tactic of suppressing the vote of one demographic and turning out another demographic, they used it again, but it was a different demographic. They worked to suppress the vote in Republican areas by shutting down in-person polling. One, one example, in, let's go to Pennsylvania. In the 59 counties that Trump won, there was one drop box for every 1,159 square miles. And the governor there, a Democrat, was shutting down in-person polling. So you had to go on a Where's Waldo weekend trip to try to find those drop boxes so you could vote. In strong Democrat yeah, yeah. strongholds, where Zuckerberg gave money, one drop box every four square miles. We started yeah. treating people differently again. That's what's wrong. You treat every vote. Well, we're going to, yeah, um, obviously this is something that the Senate is going to re, uh, rediscuss uh, starting next week. Uh, we're going to, though, delve more into the polling of it. What do real Americans uh, think about this idea coming up a little bit later? But Phil Klein, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I know we're going to be following this story in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, again, to see what this investigation is going to uncover. We could possibly have some new revelations coming up as early as Monday. Again, you can go to justthenews.com to keep up with the very latest. Thank you so much. Have a happy Father's Day to you. Still to come on this edition of The Water Cooler. Coming up next, speaking of Georgia, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to join us live next to weigh in on what this new 29-page uh, memo reveals to her and what she thinks needs to be done. But we're also going to be talking about uh, her latest legislation proposal. It involves the ATF and this idea of completely abolishing it. Could it really happen? What she's proposing. We'll have the details coming up. You're watching The Water Cooler. We'll be right back. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And welcome back to the Water Cooler. So should we abolish the ATF, also known as the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives? Well, if you ask Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, the answer is yes. And she's now gone as far as introducing a bill aiming to do just that. Here's the announcement she made on Twitter. 
and do it. I just introduced the bill to eliminate the ATF. The war on gun owners' rights has been waged long enough, and it's time to stop it. And joining us live now to discuss her reasoning behind this legislation and the likelihood, though, of this actually passing is Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene herself. Welcome to the Water Cooler. Good to see you again. Hi. Hi, Miranda. Thank you so much for having me on today. Our pleasure. So what initially sparked your desire to introduce this bill? Uh, it is to my understanding that there were two recent proposals issued by the ATF that may have spearheaded your effort here. Absolutely. Well, um, anyone that knows the history of the ATF knows that this, the ATF's history is one that attacks gun owners' rights. And that's something very important to understand the context of this very important bill. You see, the ATF has a history of, of not only attacking gun owners' rights, but people have been injured and even killed. Everyone can remember Border Patrol agent uh, Brian Terry that was killed through Obama's Fast and Furious program. And this is something that should have never happened to important people that protect our border. See, guns should not be sold to criminals, but this, this was the actions through the Obama administration. Well, now we have a dangerous person that is going to be put in charge of the ATF, and that's Chipman. That is, that is President Joe Biden's uh, selection for the ATF, and he recently even said that he wants to take away um, people's semi-automatic firearms, and we can't allow that to happen. The Second Amendment has always been one of my very top priorities. This was something that I ran on in my campaign, uh, defending gun owners' rights. Everyone in my district knows that I've fought very hard to protect our Second Amendment, and I promised people in my district that I would do that. And this is why we have to stop David Chipman at the ATF, but also stop the ATF's long history of assaulting people's gun rights. And this is the Second Amendment is what separates us apart from the rest of the world and we need to do, be willing to do everything that we can to protect it. So Congresswoman, I, I wanna go into some of the specifics of the bill. So we, we talked about obviously getting rid of the ATF. Um, you wanna do that to my understanding six months after the bill is actually enacted, right? And then also to repeal some regulations and guidance that happened after August, 2020, is that correct? That's right, because there needs to be six months um, for the ATF to actually sell the guns that it has taken into its position over its history. Um, and that would be to sell it to federal, federally authorized gun dealers um, so that these guns could be sold uh, back, into the, back into the public. And then funds that are raised from selling those guns that the ATF illegally confiscated would be used to fund um, grants that would be giving to Border Patrol agents families whose, whose Border Patrol agents had been murdered um, through the dangerous actions of Fast and Furious. So see, there's a lot of good things that will come out of this bill, not only protecting um, Americans' Second Amendment rights, but also taking care of families who, who lost loved ones when they shouldn't have through the dangerous actions of the ATF. Congresswoman, reports indicate that you have the support of Congressman Matt Gates of Florida, whom you've been touring the country with when it comes to this bill. Is that correct? Yes, that's that's right. I'm, I'm very happy. OK, so the reason I'm asking this, because uh, I'm curious to know then why you're wanting to shift, at least from what I'm reading, the regulatory power of the ATF to the FBI when it was just recently reported as early as yesterday that Congressman Gates himself is now 
seeming to suggest that the FBI may have played a role in the January 6th riots that took place on Capitol Hill. Well, first of all, Miranda, the two things you're talking about are completely disconnected. So those two things have nothing to do with each other. This would be talking about the, the part with the alcohol and tobacco, um, nothing to do with guns. Uh, what, what my colleague Matt Gates is talking about is an important issue, and he's talking about the fact that there may have been FBI operatives involved in the planning and carrying out of the riot at the Capitol on January 6th. This is something that we are all equally just completely alarmed about and very concerned, especially with people that have been arrested and, and are being currently held in what we call the deplorable jail in Washington, D.C. These people are being so held without you, bond. So let me ask you this, Congresswoman. Do you agree with his assessment? Which is the... the Which about is the what FBI he is alluding to, the fact that the FBI would have played a role. And if that's the case, why would you want the FBI involved at all. That's the evidence that we're seeing coming with the January 6th um, possible riot. And again, you're putting two issues together, Miranda, that don't have anything to do with each other. So I'm not really sure why you're drawing that conclusion. Um, I'm in full agreement with Matt Gates uh, about the FBI's possible role in the riot on January 6th. And it's extremely concerning to us and it's extremely concerning to many Americans. And I'm thankful for um, the reports that have come out, because this is something that needs to be investigated. Uh, this is not the, your typical FBI agent. There's a lot of great agents at the FBI, but it seems to be that there's always people in leadership that are willing to undermine, and we saw that happen with Russian collusion conspiracy hoax, where they were willing to harness the power of the FBI uh, to take down President okay. Trump. But what we're talking so, about is protecting Americans' Second Amendment rights. So you don't want the FBI to be involved. Did I, did I misinterpret that? I just want to get clarification on that. When it comes I, to abolishing the ATF, you don't want the FBI to be involved with anything that the ATF used to oversee. Is, is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is we need to protect American gun owners' rights by abolishing the ATF everything to do with our guns we need to keep the government away from right right i got that i just wanted to make sure with the fbi though would they be involved at all that was just i just was curious i want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding you correctly i think you're twisting two things together so I, I, i'm not i'm, I'm just not sure literally asking for, for clarification would the fbi be involved in taking over any of the duties if your bill were to pass that the atf used to take over just a yes only or no from, Only from its history involved with alcohol and tobacco, not guns, not firearms, okay. not American Second Amendment rights. Fair enough. All right, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, stick around. Still to come, Mark Meckler helps break down the national study, Do Americans Favor Afford the People Act? Find out next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Welcome back. Just a reminder again, this coming Monday, mark your calendars. Be sure and tune in to the water cooler June 21st at 3 o'clock Eastern Time when President Donald Trump joins David Brody for an exclusive interview. You don't want to miss it. Also making headlines next week, we talked about a little bit earlier, a big vote now from the Senate on what is called the For the People Act. Probably to no surprise, Democrats and Republicans in the Senate are divided on this measure. But what do real Americans, you, think about the measure? Well, according to one national survey, most of you are not for it, not for the People Act. And joining us live now to help explain the numbers and how everything breaks down and why that could be is the president of the Convention of the States and former interim CEO of Parler, Mark Meckler. Good to see you, Mark. Good to be with you. So explain to us these numbers. We have a, a graphic there kind of breaking these down. But, but in a nutshell, you have almost 55% uh, of Americans say they're less likely to support it uh, due to unpopular provisions that would end state or voter ID laws and include public funding of political campaigns. There you can see it on your screen. Um, why the big push if the polling numbers are showing that the majority of people, they don't want it? They're not for the people. Yeah, the big push is because this is not for the people. This is what I call the Death of Democracy Act. This is an attempt to institutionalize things that allow Democrats to play unfairly in the last election, things that were done at the state level. A lot of states are now pushing back against those things. We have a lot of effective legislation coming in states like Texas and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Georgia and Florida. And they're moving to present, prevent some of the things that were done in the 2020 elections. The Democrats are trying to federalize our elections, take over these elections at the state level. The American people, by and large, don't like it. I think the most interesting stat is even Democrats are evenly divided on it. It's a partisan issue, no right. doubt. About 75% of Republicans are against it. But Democrats are 35, 38 for and against this. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I'm glad you brought up that point because... You know, a lot of people think that this is something that Democrats want. You know, you just hear that number, nearly 55%, but let's break it down according to parties if we can show that graphic once again. As you mentioned, uh, Democrats even divided with this, 35% less likely to support it and 38% more likely to support. But then this is another interesting number, independence, 57%. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. So remember, we've got midterms coming up, and obviously both parties are looking towards those midterms. If you take the Republican numbers and you take the independent numbers, that's enough to win any election. And they're in big trouble on H.R. 1 when you combine Republicans and independents. Yeah, so you mentioned Democrats. So a couple of weeks ago, Senator Joe Manchin announced that he was going to vote against this measure, uh, which, of course, served as a major blow to Democrats. But then on Wednesday, the West Virginia senator came out with his own proposal of H.R. 1 in an attempt to try to achieve a bipartisan agreement between Senate Republicans and Democrats. However, his proposal struck down yesterday by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, but then backed by Democrat Senator Stacey Abrams. Where do you see this headed uh, next week? Because it kind of reminds me a little bit of, I don't know, the infrastructure deal, right? Um, now it seemed like they had reached a bipartisan deal, seemed like things were actually going well when everybody thought it was dead in the water. And now we've got Democrats, instead of that $4 trillion one being proposed by the Biden administration, now they're talking about even a bigger one, $6 trillion, and it includes everything in there, stuff that has nothing to do with infrastructure. So where do you see this headed next week, your, your uh, predictions? 
Yeah, I think Manchin holds firm. I don't think it passes. I don't think you're going to see anything bipartisan here. Republicans certainly can't afford to, nor should they, turn over their elections, which are traditionally controlled by the states, constitutionally controlled by the states, to the federal government. And I don't think you're going to see the left move on this because Dem Democrats are controlled largely by the radical left flank of their party. That puts the parties a long ways apart on this stuff. Let me ask you about Joe Manchin because he's been making headlines uh, quite a bit lately uh, for going against. Uh, some have even kind of accused him of being a traitor to the Democratic Party. Uh, do you see him ever switching parties and becoming a Republican at this point? I think it's possible. I, I mean, one of the things is you, you have to have some measure of respect for Joe Manchin. He's from the most Republican state in America, 60-40 for President Trump in West Virginia. And so he is doing his best to be a Democrat and yet still represent West Virginia values. And I think if he votes for this more radical stuff in the party, in the Democrat party, he's no longer going to represent the people of West Virginia. He's likely to get thrown out of office. So I think the political reality is he is a very sophisticated politician, kind of slippery, but does a good job of doing West Virginia's business for West Virginians. Uh, then I want to go back again. Okay, so we talked about H.R. 1. Uh, let's go back a little bit uh, to this infrastructure bill. Uh, it's just been going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And as I mentioned, now there's this $6 trillion proposal um, talking about health care. I mean, stuff that has clearly nothing to do with infrastructure. Where do you see that headed? Yeah, again, I think this is dead on arrival. And I think one of the things that you're seeing is that the Biden administration, as far as major accomplishments, in my opinion, is now over. I think we've seen what we can see. There are a couple of things that they could do by reconciliation that won't need the uh, Republican votes to actually get to a vote. I think they'll be OK using reconciliation one more time. They're probably going to use it to get a hike in the corporate income tax. That's sort of the plum thing that they're after. Other than that, I don't think they're going to get anything major done until midterms and, and possibly that's it. I possibly were done for major Biden uh, administration initiatives. Well, uh, speaking of the president, one uh, last thing when it comes to President Biden. So uh, Ronnie Jackson, uh, the former uh, physician to uh, President Donald Trump, uh, also uh, during the Obama administration, uh, according to a Fox report, he is suggesting uh, that the president uh, has cognitive decline, I'm paraphrasing, um, and then you have several members of Congress now uh, wanting him to undergo some kind of cognitive test. Uh, wanting it and seeing it happen, those are totally two different things. Do you see or foresee that happening anytime in the near future? Yeah, I don't believe it's going to happen. It's not going to happen because the president is undergoing severe cognitive decline. And I don't say that with any joy. You know, I, I've watched my in-laws both uh, succumb to senior dementia. It's very right. obvious to anybody been around people going through that. That's what the president is going through. They're not going to subject him to those tests. All right. Mark Meckler, thank you so much for your time, sir. Have a wonderful Father's Day weekend. Thank you. God bless. God bless you as well. When we come back, would you leave California or New York if you live there? Well, new studies seem to indicate that the majority of Amer Americans, uh, yeah, they're saying, see ya. Find out why in just a moment. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And welcome back to the water cooler. The Big Apple appears to be, well, getting smaller. And the Golden State, well, it may not be quite the golden ticket as it used to be. New reports show more Americans went out of these two populous states. Just take a look at this headline from Epic Times. A new study reveals that Americans are fleeing, in fact, California and New York for Florida and Texas. And joining us live now to help us explain why we're seeing this max mass exodus, easy for me to say, is Real America's voice correspondent and California native Amanda Head. Good to see you, Amanda. Hello. Good to see you, Miranda. Thanks for having me on. So are, are you ready to flee California and come join me here in the sunshine state of Florida? Girl, I have been ready. It's just that, you know, I have work obligations. I'm the only one out here on the West Coast with Real America's voice, so I'm trying to hold down the fort as much as possible until we can con some young intern into taking over my spot here. Yeah, yeah. So what is going on in California and New York? Is it just that um, is it tax related? Is it COVID related? Do any of these policies, are these playing a huge impact or is this something that's been going on before the pandemic began? Yeah, so as far as for California, obviously that's what I'm most intimately knowledgeable about. Um, What's interesting is that it's not necessarily the mass exodus of people leaving. Obviously, yes, people are leaving the state and more so than they used to. But what is causing the decrease in California's population and the subsequent reduction in House members is actually people not moving to the state to replenish, you know, and to replace those folks leaving. To put this in perspective, um, you know, word has gotten out. People are not coming here. They're not even coming here to to travel for tourism. Um, Travel-related state and local tax revenue decreased by over 50% last year. That translated to about a $6 million loss in in state revenue for California. But at the county level, is where you see the havoc happening for California. For instance, in San Francisco, uh, that exodus is causing an in-migration rate increase of 50 to 100% to the surrounding areas like the Sierra. So people are bailing out of the big cities particularly. Uh, But let me give you just the raw numbers. So um, in Q4 of last year, last quarter of last year, 267 Mm -hmm. people left the state. It's a big number. But this is what's bad. Only 128,000 people moved to California. In terms of dollars and cents, that translates to about $8 billion in losses of state revenue for California. And that $8 billion is going somewhere else. It's going to states like Arizona. That's the number one state that people are fleeing to from California. Number two is Texas. And number three is Florida. Uh, Arizona, Texas, and Florida. So people are getting out of here. Oh, yeah, I but know. Los- I live here in Florida. We, we see the memes <laughs> yeah, saying that Florida is closed. Yeah, You're getting them. And you look at crime in L.A. These are some astounding numbers, Miranda. 40% increase in grand theft auto, 95% increase wow. in murder. We have now reached a total of 143 murders in L.A. County just this year. 22% increase in arson, 
13% increase in aggravated assault, 8% increase in forcible rate. I mean, who could have seen this coming when they voted to defund LAPD to the tune of $150 million? I just can't believe this is happening here. But in a nutshell, bad education, high crime, rampant homelessness, sky-high housing costs and utility costs. And that, yeah. that in a mm -hmm. nutshell, is why people are leaving. But let's let's go back. So you talked about those those numbers and obviously California tourism is, is a big deal there. I'm not so surprised to see the numbers that you mentioned because it has been COVID and the state's been virtually shut yeah. down until recently. Uh, but skyrocketing um, cost of living there, that's been going on for quite a while. We've, we've seen that in San Francisco where, where people are basically trying to live out of their cars. That's not mm -hmm. new. That was going on prior to the pandemic. Do you think some of these numbers or some of these people may return as the state begins to open more and more? Or do you think that yeah, this in, is a, a permanent thing? In the interest of precision and accuracy, we should credit it to the certain issue of COVID. Obviously, a lot of these numbers are demonstrably higher or lower, more egregious across the board due to COVID. But what's interesting is that COVID highlighted and exacerbated a lot of the issues that we already sure. had here in California. The homelessness, the crime, the housing costs, things like that. I moved to a more reasonably priced area of, of Los Angeles, but when I lived in Hollywood up until October of 2019, I was paying $2,000 for a 550 square foot apartment in Hollywood. I was stepping over needles and bodies and walking around tents uh, in that area, $2,000. 550 square feet and it's not that much different in other parts of Los Angeles and people are thinking to themselves you know you used to have a lot of young hip people who would move to Los Angeles to chase their dream in Hollywood and they're looking at the the prices of these apartments and a lot of the a lot of the areas of Hollywood have been gentrified and they're building these high rises and they're thinking to themselves I just graduated from college or or maybe I skipped right. out on college I came straight out of high school how am I even going to afford this unless you're a trust fund baby or you're a YouTube star there really isn't a chance of doing that we're we're running tight on time, but do you think the positive out of this is some of those prices, for example, $2,000 a month for a 500-square-foot apartment, do you think those numbers will go down and things will kind of readjust to a more affordable, at least more affordable rate? Yes or no? I, I don't think so because China controls a lot of the not only the Hollywood industry but the real estate, and I don't think they care. And But I will say, the positive to all of this is that every time Gavin Newsom does something crazy, it makes my husband a little bit more amenable to leaving California. So, Gavin Newsom, keep it up. All right. Always a way to look on the positive note. Uh, there you have it. Amanda Head, Real America's Voice Correspondent, joining us from California. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Thank Miranda. you so much. When we come back, a nine-year-old girl has a few things to say at her school board meeting. Stick around. You don't want to miss it. You're watching The Water Girl. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back to the Water Cooler. Time for the last sip. Imagine being told no politics in school, and then you see your teacher with the Black Lives, Mo Black Lives Matter poster on the wall. That's exactly what happened to a nine-year-old girl 
In response, she went to her school board meeting and had a few things to say. Take a look. The other day I was walking down the hallway at Lakeview Elementary School to give a teacher a retiring gift. I looked up onto the wall and saw a BLM poster and an Amanda Gorman poster. In case you don't know who that chick is, she's some girl who did a poem at Biden's so-called inauguration. I was so mad. I was told two weeks ago at this very meeting spot, no politics in school. I believed what you said at this meeting. So at lunch I went up to my principal to tell him about the BLM poster and that I I wanted it down. He said it's not coming down. I was like, yeah, it is, because the school board said on May 25th, no BLM or politics in school. He said, that's weird. They were the, one who, they were the ones who made them. I was stunned. When I was here two weeks ago, you told us to report any BLM in our schools. Apparently, you know they're in our schools because you made the signs. I said there should be no BLM in schools, period. It does not matter the color you make the posters and the font you use. We all understand the meaning. It is a political message about getting rid of police officers, rioting, burning buildings down while King Governor Welch just sits on his throne and watches. We all know. Changing the font or the color of posters does not change the meaning. I am nine years old and I know that. You expect me to believe that you did not know what you were doing by making these posters? Come on, people. I do not judge people by the color of their skin. I, I don't really care what color their hair, skin, or eyes is. I judge by the content or the way they treat me. MLK said, I have a dream that one day my four little children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That dream has come true. I do not care or look at the color of skin, but you make me think of it. I have Asian, Mexican, white, Chinese, black friends, and I don't care. I like them because some of them make me laugh, some are sweet and kind, sporty, or share the love of God. They are just my friends. You have lied to me, and I am very disappointed in all of you. You cannot even follow your own rules. If you're going to do that, why do we follow any rules we deemed unfit or ridiculous? I'm not following your mask rule anymore, then. Get the posters out of our schools. Courage is contagious, so be courageous. And there you have it. Coming up next, Joe Weber with Just the News. We'll be right back. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back. It is time to welcome in Just the News editor Joe Weber, uh, who's been following the latest headlines on Just the News. So what is the latest going on on the website? Because I know we've been talking about it throughout the show. You guys have been really busy uh, with that recent FOIA request uh, that was filed by John Solomon and Daniel Payne in regards to Fulton County, 29 pages, in fact. We've already encouraged everybody to check that out uh, when it comes to voter integrity going on. But what else yeah. uh, is hot on the website right now? I don't know if you know this or not, but President Trump, through his PAC, went ahead and put out a statement uh, congratulating John, uh, John and Daniel for their work. So uh, they're very proud of that. Yeah. Um, the other yeah, thing is and they today, should be. 
They should be. You know, they're hardworking and they stuck on a story that other people were willing to just let go, you know, and they just stayed with it and they've seen some results or their hard work. That's a great investigative reporter, and so is Daniel. Um, President yeah, Trump also came in the news in endorsing a candidate against Lisa Murkowski in her bid to win re-election in Alaska. Now, this is not really huge news because everybody knew he, he was going to do it. This is a woman on the Alaska Commission named uh, Kelly Chewbacca. Uh, she had already gotten a consulting firm for campaigning that includes Tim Murtaugh, who was Trump's former comp guy in 2020, as well as Bill Stepien, his glass campaign manager. Here's what's interesting about this. As you remember, if you go way back, way back machine in 2010, Murkowski was challenged by a Tea Party candidate named Joe Miller. Sarah Palin also, Palin also backed him. He beat her. And then she won, she wrote in, she won in the general election as a write-in candidate. Now that went all through the courts and she eventually prevailed. The Tea Party went over to Delaware. Uh, they elected uh, a woman named um, Kathleen O'Donnell, who, um, who eventually went on to lose that seat for uh, Republicans. Yeah. So she is, uh, watch this, she's not gonna go quietly. Alaska, you know, they voted against her because she votes sometimes against uh, Senate leadership, Republican leadership, but Alaska is an interesting state. Most of the voters there are independent. They have different needs than most other people. Uh, a lot of voters around the country. I'm going to leave it there because, as promised, you wanted me to let you know when there are 30 seconds left of the show to say happy right. Father's Day. But, yes, Lisa Murkowski, you can read more about that by going to justthenews.com. Last word to you, Joe Weber. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. There you go. I want to make sure you had time to do that. See, I keep my promise there. Have a wonderful weekend and happy Father's Day to you, sir. And that's a wrap for this edition of The Water Cooler. Again, be sure and stay tuned. Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern time, David Brody will be back along with his exclusive interview with Donald Trump. Have a great weekend.